While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Had you ever read this book before? I'd read the abridged version. What does that even mean? Tell me what that means. As a kid, I had like the the abridged versions of a bunch of books, which basically means they took all the hard words out uh-huh. and made the books a lot shorter. Okay. And was it like printed on For those kids. like cardboard paper? Like for no, toddlers? It was, like, <laughs> was they're just hardcovers, but with like 18 point font. And really big margins. Okay, I think uh, I, I think read I Treasure that. Island and a couple others like that. Too. Yeah, were the, wait, did you? You literally just said this. It was the hardcover ones, but they were like not really hardcover books. No, they were hardcover books. They just had really big font and stuff. Okay, how big were they? I don't even know how big were they. Like the size of like a paperback, though. They were kind of bigger than that because they had to accommodate the really big fonts that they. I used. seem to remember. I seem to remember a friend of mine growing up having some of these kind of. Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think they're pretty common because you can't get kids to read that stuff now. No, it's a lot more I complicated tried, than you think. Yeah, I tried to read. Oh, what did I try to read? Like the unabridged version of. I think I tried to read Absalom, Absalom. What? Wait, wait. No, not allowed. And abridged I tried to read Faulkner. What are you no, talking? no, no, no. It oh. wasn't abridged. It was the regular version. And I tried to read um, Lord Jim, too, which is Joseph Conrad. And um, Wait, when? Like, as as a young, like, early teenager. How did you stumble upon and, Absalom, Absalom? And my dad had them, I think, for a college class. Because my dad took... My dad was in college for, like, 22 years. <laughs> He got his degree a few years ago. I was really proud of him. He oh. got his bachelor's in engineering from Ohio State. Oh wow, good for him! Yeah, it was great. But he has been going to he had been going to college up to that point for longer than I had been alive. <laughs> oh man! And um, yeah, so I think he had those these books from from then. And I, you know, being I was like, oh yeah, Redwall's great. Maybe I should read Lord J. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess didn't go well. I so I'm so the abridged versions of some of these books, I think are doing their part to get kids into books. Like I think I had a I think I had Moby Dick abridged too. Those a, are the ones I remember. I think as an early teen, I think I was lead, I was reading a lot of Stephen King cuz that's what my mom had on her shelves. Okay, Cujo. Yes. Yeah, I read Cujo. I think one of the first Stephen Kings that I read, that doesn't make any sense, was <laughs> called Gerald's Game and it was this Isn't that an episode of Hey Arnold? No. <laughs> Oh. And when I tell you what it's about, you're going to be like, ew. It's this woman who's like in an affair with this guy, and then they're in this cabin in the middle of nowhere, and then they get into kinky stuff, and he handcuffs her to the bed, and then he goes a little too far, so she like kicks him in the crotch, and he falls off the bed and hits his head and dies, and then she's stuck ew. there. Oh, no. And she kind of has, like, there's some stuff that's like flashback to her you know, inappropriate relationship with her father. And then there's this dog that comes in that like 
Cujo? No. Is it like a... But sometimes... It's... I assume all of Stephen King's books take place in the same fictional universe. I think they, I think they actually do. <laughs> and Cujo is always there as like the glue that holds it all together. I think they sort of do. Um, but yeah, that was a weird book to be reading in eighth grade. I was not... I probably yeah, should. I wonder, did it awaken anything in you? No, like? I, don't, I don't think so. Um, welcome to Overdue. <laughs> We've ostensibly been talking about books for five minutes or so. We say ostensibly a lot. I've noticed this about it's us. It's a good word. I like it. Here's Some people say, and I think I've heard you say, ostensibly. Yeah, I, I've said you it. You put a another times. B in there. Yeah. And ostensibly, that is incorrect. Bubstensibly? Bubstensibly. Now, if I put you on the spot, could you define ostensibly? Ostensibly? Use it in a sentence. No, the word we've just been using. I know. Use it in a sentence because I'm trying to buy myself time <laughs> to put it into words. We are ostensibly doing a podcast about books right now. Like you are supposedly doing it, but the <laughs> implication is that maybe you're not. That's. I don't think that's right. I don't right. think I okay, used Google. it right. Define All right. ostensibly. While Andrew looks that up, I will tell you that this is Overdue, a podcast about books you've been meaning to read. And my name is Craig and his name is Andrew. Yeah, my name is Andrew, and I was totally right. Uh, ostensibly, adverb, apparently or purportedly, but perhaps not actually. <laughs> I feel like I'm used to saying ostensibly because ostensibly just sounds so like, ugh. It doesn't sound like I'm actually, you know what I mean? Oh, ostensibly. Ostensibly, we're doing this podcast. It doesn't sound right. It sounds lazy. I'm going to create a workout video called abstensibly <laughs> oh no is that gonna be uh is that gonna make more money or less money than your soda shop uh what is it what's it called so to speak so to speak <laughs> oh my god it's gonna be great they're both gonna do buku I I, business buku business yeah buku bucks you need to go back to business school <laughs> i'm gonna have sky high stacks you learned the wrong words <laughs> So it's episode 20 and we're a little punchy and uh, I think we decided to do something a little different this episode, right? Yes. Rather than our normal structure, thanks for not helping me out. Our normal structure is that one or the other of us will read a book and then we will tell the other one about it. But for episode 20, we are mixing it up and we both read the book. We're totally subverting your expectations. Yeah. We haven't teased this before, right? I feel like maybe I teased it, but I'm not sure anyone's paying attention. That's so. fine. So we're okay. We're covered. <laughs> so we read The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll. And Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Thanks for picking that up. By Robert Who? Louis Stevenson. Yeah. And this is another one. This is kind of like Frankenstein in that everybody knows the the basic thrust of the book but maybe not everybody has actually read the the book itself like like people have probably seen like a parody or like some kind of movie version or a cartoon version excuse me but maybe not the um maybe not the book itself yeah i think it you're right it came up the reason we decided to read it it came up during the frankenstein episode um and you're right both of those characters, or I guess in this case, sets of characters, have kind of taken on a life of their own from a 
literary and just, I don't know, like, cultural perspective. You know, like, you can say Frankenstein in a myriad different ways by, like, it means cobbled together or it is a, a cautionary tale about knowledge and science or whatever. And Jekyll and Hyde has gotten co-opted into split personality disorder or whatever that means, you know, whatever you want to use it for. Um, and you don't have to know the story itself to know the yeah, long-lasting I mean, impact of these stories. That happens a ton with, with like, classic literature. Mm-hmm. I mean, Moby Dick is another great example because mm-hmm. everybody kind of knows that Moby Dick is shorthand for the relationship between Moby Dick and Captain Ahab. And, um, oh, I thought you were going to go white whale. I thought you were going to go white whale. Oh, that's exactly what you mean. Well, I mean, never mind. I forgot. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's I literally that's, just that's forgot. I'm not. I don't mean. The whale was named I don't mean Moby like Dick. their their relationship. Yeah, I mean, did you know that Captain Ahab? The only reason he's going after Moby Dick is because he was spurned. He's like a jilted lover, and that's no. I need to read that and book. That's the, <laughs> actually, in reality, that book is like two thirds about whaling, and it's super not that interesting. <laughs> Like the stuff about their vendetta is actually a very small amount of the book, and it's all about reading about how like blubber is stored and stuff. So, so this episode is ostensibly about the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, which was written in 1886 by Robert Louis Stevenson. Which I did not know that he wrote it. I will say that I knew that he wrote Treasure Island. I did not know that he wrote this book as well. Did you think that anybody in particular had written it, or did you just not? Did you not, were you not aware of? I don't know. I guess I just didn't know. I mean, it's not a Dickens book, but it's yeah. I don't know. I knew it was somebody British-ish. <laughs> it's like of that ilk. It's of that ilk. It's. I mean, it is Victorian, and so I just assumed it was some sort of Victorian author that I just didn't know. Um, so okay, for for me, this this like it obeys the the word of our show's premise, but not the spirit. Like I had read the abridged version before, but I hadn't read the actual version. Had you read any version of this book before? I've never read a version of Jekyll and Hyde before. As I said on the Frankenstein episode, I believe I had once years ago watched an HBO filmed version of the stage musical of Jekyll and Hyde starring <laughs> none other then I blanked on his name, David Hasselhoff, as David, Jekyll really? and Hyde. Really? Was there like a beach scene where like... No. Like, it was staged pretty Baywatch well. style? I mean, I don't. I, at this point in time, it's been almost 10 years since I saw that. So I can't say... Oh, it's definitely been 10 years since I saw that. I can't say if he was good or not. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that it was visually interesting and the music is decent for what it is, um, but that d- definitely does not, to my rec- to my recollection, um, does not follow the plot of this book. Which so okay, as as somebody who had never been exposed to the book at all, um, what did anything about its structure surprise you? Because I'm always when it, like whenever I read this, I'm kind of taken by how little of the narrative is actually told from the perspective of of Dr. Henry Jekyll. Yeah. So it's not about him. It's about this dude named Utterson. Is his first name Sam? Is it Sam Utterson? Gabriel John Utterson. All right. Thank you. 
Um, do you have notes or something? No, I got the Wikipedia page <laughs> open. <laughs> Look at you. Look at me. Um, so, yeah, I was not surprised. I think I knew this because I think my sister had read it like months or maybe a year or two ago, and she and she remarked upon this as well. Um, I, and I'd sort of forgot, and I didn't really realize. <laughs> but for when you're reading it, it is surprising that it you – I don't think you meet Jekyll – until a third of the way into the book. You meet Hyde before you meet Jekyll. You meet Hyde very, very early. Um, yeah. There's, a, there's an incident. Um, Utterson and this colleague, Richard Enfield, take these, take these like constitutionals mm-hmm. every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And um, they, pass this, they pass this door, and Enfield is like, I have this weird story about that door. There was this guy, and he was running, and he like, ran down this little girl and like stepped on her. And, um, <laughs> and I, and, and I like grabbed him and I caught him so that we could talk to the authorities and he could like make restitution for what he did. And, um, and he went into this door that like, that it, it's connected to the house that Henry Jekyll owns and he comes out and he produces this check in Jekyll's name, drawing on Jekyll's bank account. And the, the thing that strikes Enfield about this this guy that he runs into is just how instantly and completely and like lasting his he he like instantly loathes this guy and it like sticks with him how much he loathes him. Like the, like there's something that he can't describe that is innately wrong with him. Yeah, I, I uh, actually highlighted a quote from a little later in the book where they're talking about Hyde and his physical nature. And the, this one chapter ends with saying, only on one point were they agreed, and that was the haunting sense of unexpressed deformity with which the fugitive impressed his beholders. So it's like you look at Hyde and you know that he's terrible, but you don't even quite know why. It's just in his countenance, he is just embodying evil for some reason. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the book, I think, is about Utterson's kind of fascination almost with Hyde Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like trying to track him down because he is Jekyll's lawyer, I I, I believe. Yeah, he's a prosecutor. relation, like friend and lawyer. Mm -hmm. And um, Jekyll has left this will with Utterson. And it says, you know, in the in the event of the death or disappearance of Henry Jekyll, Everything that I own is to go to to hide. Yeah, which strikes Utterson as as wrong. Yeah, and, and so terrible. that's that's like that's what breeds his, I guess, fascination with. Well, coupled with coupled Hyde's with character. coupled with this, you know, trampling of the girl and 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 those events. I mean, I will say that when I was even just reading that first chapter, excuse me, and it becomes about you know, Enfield and talking to Utterson and saying, oh, that door, there's this crazy story behind it kind of thing. I almost expected that to then become a frame narrative, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, and it is very, very briefly, but not... Not not for very long, long. no. And I I kind of expected that we would then go back and be like, oh, and there was this guy named Henry Jekyll and stuff. And that's totally not the case. Utterson becomes the main pursuant of Hyde. Yeah. And, and, and most of the book is about his pursuance. Um, and you see Jekyll and you see a few other characters, like there's a mutual friend they have named Lanyon. 
Mm -hmm. um, there is a man named uh, Sir Danvers Carew or Carew. How would you? I don't know Danvers Carew. I think Carew? if I'm if I'm yeah. hearing the musical starring David Hasselhoff in my head correctly, uh, Danvers Carew is how you pronounce it. We'll call him Dan. <laughs> Dan. Um, there's this guy named Dan who gets uh, brutally murdered by Hyde in the street. That's a little um, later in the book, though, right? A little, a little past the book's midpoint. Yeah. It's it's the catalyst for a lot of what follows, mm -hmm. and you don't like the hints. Hints are there if you and 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 any any modern reader coming at this book is going to know, you know, Jekyll and Hyde are the same person. Like that's not that's not going to be the revelation that maybe it was. At the time, which actually is kind of sad because yeah, let's you know, we'll come how, back to that. Let's what come a, back to what that. What a twist that is! But um, yeah, you get you get a, I guess you get a first per. What what do I what am I trying to say? You get like a well, because they watch it happen, right? They watch Hyde you get like kill a, you that get, dude. You get the account of a primary source in like the second or third to last chapter in Lanyon, like Lanyon's letter. Oh describing yeah. That, oh, the book, ends, Hyde... the book ends with a letter from Lanyon and a letter from Jekyll. Yes. And that, and then it just, and then it's just done. Like it doesn't even come back to Utterson. No, like he's, he's the main character, but he's not even that important. Ultimately, like no. what's important is the unraveling of this, of this mystery. So, um, so so yeah, like you don't like the clues are there, but you don't even it's not even made explicit that Jekyll and Hyde are the same guy until the next to last or third to last chapter, and then you have the whole last chapter, which is Jekyll explaining which is, everything. you know Jekyll's admission and his, his his letter to Utterson to be opened, you know, in the event of his death or disappearance again. Yeah, I, again that word disappearance. I, I know that maybe we sh I said I would we should talk about it later, but I guess we can talk about it now, like. I'm reading this book going, oh, wow, they are really delaying the information that Jekyll is Hyde. This is not a book about a man who discovers, at least for the good first two-thirds of it, is not a book about a man who discovered he can, you know, isolate and then transform into his the evilest version of himself, you know. I think my impression mm -hmm. of Jekyll and Hyde coming into the book was that... From that stupid musical, or or other or other sources. <laughs> Man, this thing is really colored. Your perception really, of this book, it really has, because it's a very different plot. Um, like that version of the story, and I, I, I would suppose other versions of the story, because I, I don't know where all of that came from. Is that you know Hyde is trying to separate the evil nature, or not Hyde. Uh, Jekyll is trying to separate the evil nature of man. Perhaps that if we can separate it off, like then we can destroy it, you know? Um, and so it is. And in the, yeah, in the, in the book, that's, it's not even about destroying it, just about like Jekyll himself is, he's, I think he's like most people. He thinks of himself as essentially good, but, but he, knows he has yeah. bad tendencies that kind of get in the way. And so his, his, the goal of like his experimentation is to separate the halves so that the the darker half can go and and be what it wants to be and the lighter half can go and be what it wants to be and like never the twain shall meet like the, the conflict between the two will be yeah will be ceased yeah. by their separation it's not it's not about separating out the evil to get rid of it it's just about letting each half of a conflicted person be who 
you know, be who they want to be, I guess. Um, but, and, and so to that end, like other versions of the story that I've seen or read, you know, have, um, this idea that like, it's all about Jekyll, you know, it's all about what Jekyll's trying to do. It's all about his experimentation and his story. And it's not about this dude trying to uncover it. And so I don't know, like if you pick up this book in the, in 1886 do you know that this is what it's about do you you see the title the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde and you're just interested in these two guys you know um in the same way that like anybody watching romeo and juliet now has a different experience of anybody who's watching it for the first time that kind of thing yeah actually i really wanted i really would have liked to I really would like to know the reaction of somebody who read this not knowing. Is it like a Fight Club Jekyll thing? Hyde were the same. Is it like, oh yeah, God. yeah, like is it a big like crazy M Night Shyamalan twist at the end, <laughs> or do you kind of see it coming? Because there are these like through Utterson's eyes, you see like there are these periods of Jekyll's life where he's really like virtuous and like in the public eye and like being great, and then there are these version the these periods where he's like locked away and he won't see anybody. Yeah, there's one or two later, and then in the like the last chapter, you find out like the reasoning behind all of this. But yeah, there's one or two things where you'll see Hyde in occasionally. Utterson sees Hyde like once or twice, where he hears about it, where like Hyde is wearing clothing that's way too big for him, you know. Or there's one moment where Utterson and Enfield are walking and they see Jekyll in a window, and then all of a sudden Jekyll's like face completely goes blank, like goes pale, and then he like shuts the window and they don't hear from him for weeks kind of thing. Yeah. Like certainly Utterson doesn't realize before someone spells it out for him. No, not but at I all. I don't know if a contemporary audience would have picked up on it before or not. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, you know, cause it is an allegorical tale about evil and, and the suppressing of evil thoughts, I think. Um, which is kind of, very Victorian in a way of the difference between your public self and your private self and, you know, what kind of desires you are willing to manifest in front of other people. Uh, Yeah. Like it's very, the book itself. And I made a lot of, of marks about, about this particular aspect, but it's, it's a lot about like the duality of, of, a person's nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like you said, their public, not just their public self and their private self, but like who they want to be and who they aspire to be versus like who they w- are or like who they would be if they let their impulses go just totally unchecked. Oh yeah. And it, it's interesting too, because I was doing a little bit of reading that initially there were a lot of, it was picked up part of its initial popularity. It was kind of picked up, and the concept became very popular in sermons, like contemporary sermons, and uh, just you know Christian teachings of you know knowing whether or not you are infallible, et cetera. Um, and then there was there's you know kind of been backlash that it's not about capital G good versus capital V capital E evil. It's more about the more Freudian in a way of like. Are you willing to accept that part of you is kind of uh, 
rash and desire based and the other part of you kind of knows what society expects of you and how you balance that is incredibly important um which is different from just like you are a good person or you are a bad person you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and even and, and then even later in the book in the the letter that jekyll writes where he's talking about i was fascinated by this where he's talking about just the way the the potion or whatever it is works he's like I think in the future people will probably figure out how to split themselves into all sorts of personalities. Like he doesn't even limit it to everyone has two personalities, you know, which is yeah, like like getting to two personalities is just like striking the you know it, it's scratching the surface really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Though I was I was pleasantly surprised to find the same cop out in this book that I found in Frankenstein. I actually, I think I highlighted the exact moment and it's really awesome. Let me, let me get the, let me draw the highlight up and actually read it because it is a spectacular cop It's pretty great. Uh, and um, this I'm referencing in Frankenstein where, you know, Dr. Victor Frankenstein is, is telling the captain who he's telling the story to, like I said in that episode, that, you know, no, I'm not going to tell you how I did it because then this is going to happen to you kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, For two good reasons, I will not enter deeply into the scientific branch of my confession. First, because I have been made to learn that the doom and burden of our life is bound forever on man's shoulders, and when the attempt is made to cast it off, it but returns upon us with more unfamiliar and more awful pressure. Second, because, as my narrative will make, alas, too evident, my discoveries were incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I'm not... Don't don't worry. And I think... (laughs) This still happens. Like I always, I'm always struck by that scene in Looper. Okay, where they like try for a minute to talk about the time travel involved, and Bruce Willis is just like, "Shut up, don't worry about it." Like, stop talking about. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a really, it's a, it brings you out of the action of the story just for a minute, and and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, so like in that in that sense, it's effective. Like like don't don't worry too much about about how he eats and breathes you should really just relax well and and if these you know the stories theoretically should be about you know even if they're fictional they should be about unique characters who are doing a thing that no one else has done and if they actually go through this thing that they are going through that well then they would never want anyone else to go through them so it does you know fictionally it makes sense why they would never tell anyone kind of thing yeah um, something i um I don't I don't know if we're going to talk about this a whole lot but something I kind of find interesting is that in in Jekyll and Hyde and in their relationship with one another and in what Hyde is to Jekyll mm-hmm. um you can I think I think you can see a lot of elements of like what Freud would later go on to like categorize as the id yes very much so even though even though that paper like the ego and the id the paper itself was not published until 1923 which is Oh, interesting. You know, you know, quite a bit after this book was actually published. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting that even before we had categorized the stuff as like different psychological impulses, you have, you know, Stevenson here writing about Hyde as as like a part of Jekyll that's just completely uninhibited by by any of like society's, you know, pressures and any like personal conflict like he just is like the only thing that Hyde responds to is pure like animalistic fight or flight yeah stuff. I was just gonna so, say like, that yeah. yeah 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 
because so why don't you yeah pick it up <laughs> one of the pick up what I'm putting down one, one of the things that was interesting is that like later you know a lot of I think what you and I are talking about is getting is what's revealed in the last chapter because the last chapter is Jekyll kind of spelling everything out and how everything works uh, which some of it I find confusing and kind of unsatisfactory a, a little bit um, well, let's talk about that in a little bit because yeah. I'm interested to hear what exactly you're unsatisfied well it just um, but so he has a he has a line or two where he says that like Hyde because Hyde has committed this murder of Danny Carew um, <laughs> he allows himself to be to turn back into Jekyll like I, I think one of the things that he kind of sets up is that he there's no reason for Hyde to turn back into Jekyll except that he knows Jekyll is the one that allows him to continue to live. You yeah, know? Or that he, he knows the alternative is being, you know, hanged is, for his crimes. Yeah, because, later in Hyde. Because it's, it's, yeah. it's known, like, instantly that Hyde is who did this because there are witnesses and they um, track him back to the, like, the address in Soho that Jekyll, like, he had bought him a little apartment yeah. as, like, a cover and, like, a place to go when he was, when he was out carousing as Hyde. It's really, it's it's interesting because, you know, initially when Jekyll, you know, brews the magic unspecified potion that makes this transition happen, mm-hmm. he um, he really, he revels in, in being Hyde. And he talks about how, you know, Hyde is younger than Jekyll and like smaller in stature than Jekyll because he's like, it's a part of his his self that's like less used. And so it's like, it's aged less than, than Jekyll. Yeah. I found, I did find that fascinating that the way he describes Hyde and the way he describes himself physically are, are so different. Like Hyde is smaller in stature, stronger, but not bigger. Um, And it is, it's because it's like from a moral perspective, Jekyll has been a good person, so his evil side is less exercised on like a literal level. Like I kind of found yeah. that a little cute. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a nice touch. And for people for people who haven't read this, like, um, I guess we should we should go through like what his undoing eventually is. Is he he discovers this potion? Initially, he takes it, and sometimes he has to take it two or even three times to change it to hide. Okay. And then one morning he wakes up. He, he had gone to sleep as Jekyll and he wakes up without having taken a potion as Hyde. And this is the beginning of kind of a backsliding yeah. um, where slowly Jekyll begins to lose himself. And where once Jekyll had been the dominant personality, Hyde soon begins to be. Yeah. And um, I guess the, the, the way that it's laid out in the book is that you know, Hyde is pure evil with no conscience, no good part of him at all. And Jekyll is merely mostly good, but the evil is still there in him. Like he is not a pure character. He's just like, he's just like everybody. He's just like you and me. Like he's, he tries to be good. He's mostly good, but he's not all the way good. Yeah. There's... And so it's kind of framed as inevitable that the evil side will eventually win out just by, you know, by pure strength of will. Because even, even when Jekyll is still Jekyll, he is seized by these, these needs or these desires to become, you know, the unfettered hide. Well, and one of the last changes that he goes through uh, that he documents is that he's like sitting in a park 
in like the middle of day and Jekyll's sitting there thinking like he hasn't turned into Hyde in a good long time. He's tried to make amends for the crimes that Hyde has committed and he's feeling really good about himself and telling himself he's such a good person and then all of a sudden he turns into Hyde. And it's this kind of moment where it's like Jekyll thought he had become, I think, a, a purer good than he is. And in, in that exact moment is when he becomes the kind of heinous, evil version of himself. I think what struck, what struck me the most about that last chapter is just the way Jekyll talks about himself and the way he talks about Hyde. Because he always tries to refer to him as, an, as a separate character. But I guess what I found unsatisfying is that I don't. he still kind of talks about himself, if that makes sense. What do you mean? I don't I'm trying to articulate it. Like I think I know what you mean. I just want you to articulate no, no, it no. better so we can talk about He talks it. about Hyde more as a bunch of his own impulses rather than this true other personality, if that makes sense. And I I was actually going to say the opposite. I thought that he he talked about Hyde as though he were a separate person a little more so as though, you know, so as to distance himself and so as to like i mean hyde has killed a man at this point like he i i feel like he kind of goes out of his way to a a, to allude to hyde as a separate person rather than an aspect of himself just to like calm you know just to ease his own conscience okay that's fair i think i guess i'm i'm more responding to the like literal sci-fi rules of how this works if that makes sense like after each change or you know there's one one or two changes where he talks about seeing himself in the new physical form and and this that kind of bleeding nature to me i i think just kind of muddies the rules of whatever's happening like that he is able to describe himself as hyde for me doesn't keep that delineation clear and that's interesting from a like thematic perspective i guess but it doesn't quite support the all of the efforts he's making to kind of make hide a different person does that make sense i think so (laughs) it's it's just weird i'm just like because he does have moments where he like looks into the mirror and sees hide or whatever it is or like he looks down at his hands and he knows that he has turned into hide Mm-hmm. which I guess the presupposition I had was that as soon as Hyde takes over, Jekyll's gone, you know? Yeah. And so that way, in that way, it's different than two separate dudes who in, who inhabit one body. It's a dude's basic, baser instincts, not basic, baser instincts taking <laughs> over that body. You know what I mean? I don't know. I think the rules are a little fast and loose. Yeah, I mean, possibly. Like, it, it's it's more, the book is more about the broader, like, the, 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 I think the dual, the duality of man, I mean, is, is obviously yeah. a big theme here. Is this, like, in each person there are these warring good and evil impulses and, um, and, and yeah, it's more, it's more about it's more about separating those out from each other and like what makes those like what makes those haves 
different from each other or or maybe even like what like how the good can't escape from the evil or even how they like how they how they each balance each other out and how they each kind of need one another though i may be getting though i may be thinking of a star trek episode when i'm talking about that (laughs) well i think that that plays to what you were saying earlier in in the book's relationship to freud right is you know the idea of like you don't if you suppress it that only makes it worse in a way you know if you cordon off the you know the primal aspect of your personality and try to contain it then it only comes back stronger and that's actually what in the in the story of the book leads to the murder of uh Danvers Carew I think right like uh yeah yeah like there, there's takes a period two where months off from being hide yeah like after he tramples that girl and um and uh what's his name um, Enfield sees him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enfield yeah. is barely in it, so you don't really remember his name. Yeah, but yeah, like every once in a while, Hyde will do something that so horrifies Jekyll. Like the the trampling the girl is one, um, murdering our friend Dan is another. Um, that he, you know, he puts the lid on Hyde, and he's like Jekyll for a couple of you know two solid months, and he's just being like purely virtuous, and then eventually. Once the like immediate fear or the immediate horror at Hyde's or I guess his own actions has faded, he has a moment of weakness, and that's when the evil, you know, when that's when the lesser, the more evil half comes out and like and does something even worse than even worse than, than he had yeah, done before. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as I was going to that section of the book, and I, I found a highlight I made. Um, I think kind of goes back to what I was saying before is that like there's this whole section where he describes what it was like to kill and then kind of like he, he basically stomps that dude to death, right? Oh, yeah. No, it's really brutal. <laughs> it's really like, he, awful. he beats him upside the head with a cane and then continues like beating and trampling him until... And this is a, like an elderly member of parliament from what I can yeah, glean from yeah, the book. Yeah, like he's, he's not a young guy. No. Um, but the like, so the way it's written in the book is like, instantly the spirit of hell awoke in me in rage. With a transport of glee, I mauled the unresisting body, tasting delight from every blow. Which, you know, just from a writing perspective, I really enjoy. But it's in that section he is still telling that story from the first person. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say it's some. There, there's probably some really interesting research paper in there about when Jekyll says I when he's talking about Hyde and when he says Hyde. You know, when he uses the first versus the third person. And I just flipped like a couple pages later, and there is a line that I remember where Jekyll does. He's talking about Hyde, and he says, "He, I say, you know, I cannot say I." That child of hell had nothing human, nothing lived in him but fear and hatred. So it's like even Jekyll is trying to, I guess to your point earlier, maybe some of my dissatisfaction with how the rules are handled should kind of be for naught because Jekyll is trying to create delineations between himself and Hyde and he just can't. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I think that's that's less about what the author is doing and more about how the character is just trying to trying to to cling to any last like scrap of separation that he can he can justify between himself and this like holy evil holy like impulse driven creature that is that is Hyde. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like it has become this 
Jekyll and Hyde thing has become a shorthand for certain types of, you know, split personality stuff. And, and it's also, yeah. being- I mean, I think a, a lot of the, the subsequent stuff has kind of lost some of this, some of the tragic quality of the story, because I mean, the, the tragic stuff is obviously that Jekyll by the end can't control it anymore. Yes. And is like a slave to his own impulses almost. And, and what kind of gets glossed over in like in like cartoon versions where they import this is just like, oh, it's a it's a good guy and he can change back into an evil guy and back and forth like at will. It loses a lot of the a lot of the subtlety. Now, I did. I did. One thing I did want to ask you is like, do you have any thoughts about the end of the book where Jekyll has kind of sealed himself away and he is he is Hyde most of the time and they're just kind of trapped in that room with each other. Like, did, do you have any particular thoughts about that section of the book? Well, Oh, I don't know. I don't know what you mean. Like, what am I thinking about? Like, that sounds terrible. Well, he's, he's talking about how, I mean, Jekyll is writing this final letter to Utterson and he talks about, you know, I have to hide this away where Hyde can't get it before I change or else he's just going to rip it up. Or he's talking about how Hyde like defaced that, that picture of Jekyll's father and how he, he took Jekyll's Bible and like blasphemed all over his. Oh yeah. 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 I do remember that. Yeah. I mean, that does speak to them being more separate than the rest of the book seems to indicate, you know, separate, but Hyde knows just how to get to Jekyll. Yeah, it's it's that way where I guess, you know, rolling with the, the different versions of yourself, like to put it, you know, kind of coarsely and humorously, it's the way that like you kind of resent the drunk version of yourself or whatever <laughs> it might be, you know, or like the version of yourself that is not on the clock if, you know, you don't have things to do and you're, you know, desperately trying to relax or kind of indulge like i'm gonna eat this pizza because i want to right now and i don't care yeah, about anything or like else the version of you who stays up till three in the morning and the way the version of you that has to get up at seven just hates that guy yeah yeah is that an, isn't that a jerry seinfeld bit that you really like i, I mean i do like it i don't <laughs> i i thought i i thought that privately before i ever saw the seinfeld bit and i was like yeah this is funny because he's saying what i'm thinking you know, like all of Seinfeld's humor. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're 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 right about that. I, and I think that conflict does not play as much in the book as I would have expected it to. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, you just you get so little of it from Jekyll's perspective that the, I don't think there's a lot of room for those kinds of observations. And I think that's what I'm used to from. And I'll, I'll call it a myth because at this point, like. In the same way that Frankenstein has taken on a life of its own, like the character Jekyll and Hyde can mean so much from a storytelling perspective that it, it really is a myth. Like it's just like you have this character that goes back and forth, and that's it. That you can kind of create a narrative around it however you want. Yeah, like the shorthand kind of kind of loses some of the subtlety of the original. Yeah, and and the subtlety of the original is that it's much more of an allegory about the nature of humanity and the nature of. Um, you know, moral behavior, but you, I would have expected more of these characters like messing with each other, or at least Hyde messing with Jekyll deliberately 
and that doesn't really happen until the kind of later the late stage like you're saying when they're trapped with each other and there's actually there's a quote that i didn't highlight but i think i remember how it goes is like they share memories but they don't um they don't necessarily like Hyde especially doesn't necessarily care about Jekyll. There's like, there's something in there about how Jekyll takes more than a father's interest in Hyde and Hyde has less than a son's indifference yeah. toward Jekyll. Yeah. My iPad just died. I was going to look that up as you were saying it. Cause I highlighted yeah. that. Yeah. No, um, that's a really, that's a good line. Yeah. And, and, and if you, and if you get the free Kindle edition of this book, which I really strongly recommend that you do, I, I saw a couple typos, but otherwise it, it's, it's pretty good. There, there's a lot of good stuff that just like when you're reading through the Kindle books, you'll see the sections that lots of people have highlighted <laughs> and there's some good stuff just in there. So I guess I was, you know, cause I was struck by how the Jekyll narrative has very little to do with Utterson from a like thematic perspective. Does that make sense? Like there are no other characters. Explain yourself. That. Yeah. That theme doesn't trickle down into other parts of the book for me. It's a pretty short story in that regard. It's kind of a short story within a short story. Like you could almost just have that almost chapter. have just the high, just the the chapter from Jekyll's perspective be its own teeny tiny short story. And it would lo- what it would lose is the Tyler Durden moment. Spoilers for Fight Club. <laughs> it would it would lose that moment, right? Um, but, and maybe I guess you lose like 80% of the books, like suspense building to that moment, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's gotta be, especially for people who are coming at it, you know, contemporary readers would, would have been wondering along with Utterson, you know, what is the deal with these two guys? Yes. But when you're reading it now, I don't need all of that Utterson stuff. You know, I'm more interested in. Jekyll himself so you know and the only times you ever see Jekyll throughout the book are like he's so old and tired because he's uh. and I, I kind of <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by how the book kind of justified the way his physical self was worn down by the way that Hyde's physical self kind of blossoms mm-hmm. you know he was taking a very you know trying to say that like each moral half of his person kind of contributes to their physical well-being, which I found, I, I was very surprised by that, and I, I liked that a lot. Um, but you only encounter Jekyll sporadically throughout the book. So, yeah, I think you could, there is a version of this that is just that last chapter, and then I think a lot of the subsequent versions of this tale take that last chapter and then run with it. Yeah. like I think, I think the Utterson part does play a really crucial role in in building suspense even if you know what's going to happen the whole yeah. time and um this you know the story itself is so short like it's not it's not a long story. no not at all it's not as though the stuff with utterson like hurts it at all like if anything it makes it more tragic that this guy who is who is like a dear friend to to utterson and to some other characters in the book like it, it becomes more tragic that the Hyde stuff is happening to him yes. than it would be if it were just yes. like if it were just the Jekyll chapter, it seems almost like, you know, it would be this guy brought down by his own hubris and that would be it. And that like, that's a story in and of itself. But 
I think the rest of the story kind of humanizes him and his struggle. Well, like, to see it from the outside like that. Yeah, and I, and I think when it was written, you needed Utterson there and those other characters there to kind of set up the society in which Jekyll was existing, which kind of creates all of that internal versus external behavior. You know, if yeah. you don't have an a representation of Victorian London through Utterson and that kind of propriety and, and all that kind of stuff, then the whole Jekyll Hyde thing might not work. I mean, it, it works, but it's a lot more abstract, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't have a, a clear motivation. Well, um, do you have do you have anything else? I do have something that struck me funny. Do you have a struck and me funny? Because I I have a struck. I me did funny have a struck me funny, and I'm not sure if it's the same one. I'm wondering if it's the same. one. Is it a really bad pun? It is a really bad pun. Uh, I think we're at the same <laughs> we're at the same thing. So Utterson is looking for Hyde. Oh no! And there's this point in the book where Utterson says, "If he be Mister Hyde." I shall be Mr. Seek. God dang it. Oh, <laughs> no. I can't believe he said that. <laughs> I can't believe it. That's something that I liked even the in the abridged version. Like, that made it to the abridged version. And I remember being, even as a, like, even as a younger version of myself, being like, really? Oh. Is that, did they, are they really making that no, joke right No, I God, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> oh man. I'm glad we had the same struck me funny. The there was also another one that they refer to, I don't know if it's it's when they go to the morgue to identify uh Danver Carew's body or not. I don't remember if it happens then or it happens earlier. They they're talking about a doctor character, like a surgeon, and they refer to him as Sawbones. Like capital S Sawbones. Yeah, Sawbones. Which apparently is slang for doctor in that yeah. age. I knew about that because of Star Trek. Oh. Because that's why Bones. that's why Kirk calls yeah, that's why Kirk calls McCoy oh Bones. Oh my god. It's two Star Treks in in one episode. We've already okay, I don't know how many times we've talked about Star Trek, but we've definitely talked about Looper in like three or four different podcasts. <laughs> Obviously it's left a really really big effect on me um but yeah i i dug the book um i don't know what else we can say about it no i mean i think that's that's it it's a pretty short thing but um yeah it's another there are so many good quote-unquote classic books that are available on you know in the public domain and amazon has made them really easy to get through its you know its kindle store so I mean, even if if you don't have like the e-reader Kindle, like there are Kindle apps for practically everything under the sun, including your web browser. So like go to Amazon. There's this whole free section of the store and you can find like some Sherlock Holmes stuff. You can find um, Jekyll and Hyde. Like there are all kinds of. I'm not going to make you mad old... if I tell you that I read this on iBooks. Are you, are you kidding me? Did you pay money for this? No, it was free on iBooks. Oh, it was free. Well, I mean, you can do it on iBooks too. My point is, there's a lot of really good stuff that's that is has been around for so long that it has. Real quick, what do you, you think know, about the language? It's an old book. Oh, what do you language? think about the language? Um, it's a little. It it 
takes a while to get to what it's saying, but I feel like, and we talked about this last week a little bit with the color purple too, is like once I was in it for a while, I found it pretty easy to digest. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I still, I, I think there were just, there were times where one or two times where I kind of lost the thread of what was happening <laughs> because yeah, of I mean, how th- dense throughout the it was. Yeah, it's like you you could have said that with fewer words if you'd really wanted yeah. to. Yeah. And and I <laughs> I did learn that the word holograph also means a manuscript like a handwritten manuscript like written by the person who is writing it. That that sounds that's a terrible explanation. Yeah, that's bad. Um the at one point I think Utterson says that a letter from Jekyll or something was holograph, which means it was like written in his hand. It wasn't okay instead of like that. taken down by a yeah. by a. Person which when I when I was. asked iBooks to define it, it knew exactly what I was asking. It didn't try. It didn't misdefine it as like a hologram or something. You know what I mean? Good job, iBooks. Um, but that was weird. <laughs> I, yeah. It, it was just a little dense i think at times in in ways that sometimes i kind of missed what was going on because yeah. it was very preoccupied yeah. with describing the characters from a personality perspective you know in, in in manners of personality that i think sometimes yeah. got a little wordy <laughs> yeah i can definitely see that but um yeah point my point is definitely that there's a lot of really good old stuff that has um has gone beyond the bounds of the weird u.s copyright laws and you can now get for free from from either kindle or ibooks or i'm sure there are a lot of other third-party like uh, um ebook stores that they're all available in so yeah go go grab them go missing some good stuff go out and get them go get it get some words what they made their money just just get it for free okay <laughs> This has been Overdue. <laughs> this is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. Um, if you go to our Did website... Did you almost just www. start a new podcast? Did you say no. the catchphrase and not know what to do afterwards? No, I almost said my name is Craig. Yeah, you caught me. Um, <laughs> if you go to our website, uh, com, you can find our RSS feeds and our iTunes feeds. Um, and subscribe to them, and that would be really great, especially in iTunes if you could rate and review us. The the better you guys say we are, the better it looks like we are. So hey. we, we appreciate if you take any, you know, any time, any... I mean, you've already wasted, what, like 50 minutes doing this? Like, what's another five reviewing yeah, us? Yeah, it takes less um, than five. You don't even realize. Well, I mean, if you really want to think out how effusive you want to be with your praise yeah i suppose like it, it i suppose might take you like two and a half to write it like two and a half to edit it and really like polish it to a to a dull another sheet. like two minutes sending it to a friend for editing <laughs> peer review man um, peer review yeah peer review indeed um we also have links up there amazon links to the books um that we read and also the ones from the next two weeks they're not always in the public domain so if you want to click those and buy the books to, you know, follow along with us or just, you know, expand your own mind, um, take a look. It's in a book. It's Reading, Reading Rainbow. And that helps us defray our hosting costs and make awesome puns and jokes and stuff. So we would appreciate that. If you want to hit us up on the Twitter, you do it at OverduePod.com. That's not what, what? I mean. Nope. Try if you again. you want to hit us up on the Twitter, you do it at OverduePod. 
If you want to hit us up on Facebook, you do it at facebook.com slash overdue pod. Facebook.com. Facebook.com. That's my new Facebook conference that I go to. Um, <laughs> or you could email us at overduepod at gmail.com. And I think that's You'll it. be glad you did. I think so. So we'll see you next week. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Or goodbye. I don't... Whatever time good of afternoon, day. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. To, yeah. Just substitute the time appropriate. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.